0: Welcome, everyone. This is the uh, MOH Podcast. I'm Jim Patton, your host. And uh, I've got something a little bit different for you this week. And um, it's kind of uh, out of sequence, in a sense, in that uh, back in the, the days, the early days of the Jesus movement, when Winky was doing a lot of teaching, uh, he would often uh, speak for a week at a time. Uh, at, at various camps and so on. Now, that might be one, two, three messages a day. It could be uh, maybe just one a day. Um, but he, he was in the habit of delivering some really powerful, potent messages that would <laughs> really mess people up <laughs> and and make them uh, look at their lives and, and uh, make a determination about whether or not they were going to serve God and whether they were going to give their all or not. This message is the kind of message that he would give at the end of the week or sometimes it wasn't just a week sometimes it might be at a discipleship training school for Agape Force or YWAM or something and then it, it might be something where he gives uh, a few messages at one week and then come come back another few weeks and do it but it might be a longer period of time maybe a 10 or 12 week school or something like that where he delivered messages at various times or he might be delivering them at an Agape Force conference or something like that but anyway uh, this message was one that is—it uh, stands out from the rest in a lot of ways, and uh, it's ex- it's extremely important because when you've had a lot of heavy-duty preaching, when you've made some very positive choices, uh, they can come back to bite you, so to speak. Because when you're when you're young in the Lord and you're just making all these commitments, sometimes you might find yourself going overboard. Sometimes you might find yourself being uh, distracted. Sometimes you might find yourself being attacked by the enemy. Any number of things, um, but this this one is is really good because it it's kind of one that makes you step back and and kind of look at the big picture and, and just step back, calm down, relax. Let's look at this thing. This is a uh, a, a really important one in in uh, in regards to all the rest that he would he would teach, and it's kind of one you might need to go back and listen to from time to time if you find yourself in any of these situations that you'll that you'll hear him describing but it's, it's one that's called Living Like Jesus. And uh, it's a really powerful message that, that kind of, <laughs> I don't know, you know, one ring to rule them all. It's that kind of thing where the bottom line is, you know, Jesus said that we are to be like him. He said that we are to become like him. That's That's God's Purpose for our lives to be conformed to the image of His Son. So, this one is about living like Jesus. This may be your first time listening, or you may listen to a bunch of podcasts and then come back to this one. But it's it's a it's a really cool one. I found myself remembering lots of things that I had forgotten. And uh, so, here we go. We're going to do living like Jesus today with Winky Prattney.
1: Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. And those of you who have manuals, the section we're dealing with is under uh, is a part. Two, two sections, two parts. Uh, one is under James Zebedee, jz 4 and another one's under Simon the Zealot. Simon Zealot. Uh, seven, yeah. I think we got something weird up here, friends. I don't know what it is. It just sounds weird. Let's look to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless us. Hang on, try not to move around too much because it's pretty hot in here. You could maybe fan like this every now and then. This is not exactly the best air-conditioned place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a tremendous time this week. We thank you for pouring out your Spirit on us, teaching us, instructing us, empowering us, giving gifts to us. How we praise you. This is like six birthday parties all rolled into one. We thank you so much for your kindness to us. I thank you for the kids here, that you've called men and women from all over the place into this one camp to train as counter-revolutionaries in a world full of violence and occult and no absolutes. We thank you you've called us to hold high a banner of truth from all backgrounds, from all paths. We thank you that you've called us to be your children, that we can... Hold high our heads and say we belong to the royal family. We do not belong to this world. We are citizens of another country, a better country. Now we praise you for what you have done. Thank you for your kindness, for cleaning up our past and making us totally different people from the kind of people we used to be. Thank you we can start new and clean with fresh clothes on and look at the long road ahead and praise you that you are our Father. Now we thank you, O God, for all you've given us. Now, Lord Jesus, in this session we come again and we ask you to just deal with us afresh. We pray that you'll help us understand what it means to be holy, to walk with you, to hold your hand, to know your love, to draw on your power, that we may serve you effectively. In Jesus' lovely name we praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, I'm going to give you a list of things first. We're going to go through what it does not mean to obey God. The uh, section, uh, the first section is under uh, Simon the Zealot, I believe. You'll find it SZ7 uh, and on. Simon the Zealot, 7 and on. Those of you who've got manuals. We have talked about what it means to be a Christian. Most of you, uh, I think, have a pretty clear understanding now that when God asks a man to come to his side, he asks him to hate all the things that uh, he used to do. He asks him to hate all the, the uh, rotten past that God has saved him out of. God has purposed to deliver us from sin, to make us holy people, a brand new kind of people. People so totally different from the world around us, the world just cannot believe there are such people around. And that's what he's called us to be. Now it is important to understand what it means to obey God and what it does not mean to obey God. Because a lot of times the devil knows that if he can't get you to go back into sin, he thinks he can push you too far so you become an idiot or some kind of spiritual freak. And he'll work on both ways, so that's why we give you warning tonight, so you understand that there is two extremes. The devil knows if he can't wipe you out, he may be pushed you too far until you burn your life out. Do you see that? He knows that if he can't puff you up, he can put you down. If he can't depress you, he may be able to push you into spiritual pride. So watch out for the extremes. We have said the Christian life is always a balanced, happy, relaxed, Joyful life. There may be trials, there may be temptations, there may be problems and troubles, but Christian life is not a driven, uh, biting, hard, teeth-clenching type thing. The disciples were not a a band grimly determined to save the world. They were a relaxed, happy, joyful little group that went out singing before Jesus' crucifixion. Understand that. Jesus went to the cross for the joy of the cross. When you lose your joy, you lose the heart of the love of God. See that? Never let yourself in a place where you have to be driven. That's bad news. The devil tries to do that. The Christian is led. Understand, the sheep are led by the shepherd. The shepherd goes before the flock and leads them. He doesn't stand behind beating them with sticks. That's the devil's way. Do you see that? If you feel yourself driven, pushed, uh, hardened to something, then draw aside, rest up, seek God, check your life again, watch out for enemy attacks. All right? Let's go into what it does not mean to obey God. First of all, it doesn't mean that you've, you've got this thing, I call it tragic, obeying God is not tragic. Some people have this idea, being a real Christian means that you be a sad saint. See, some people grimly determined to be holy. I'll be holy if it kills me. Probably does, you know, at the end. Do you know what Jesus said? Be of good cheer, it is high. Do not afraid. See that? What does the gospel mean? Why, it means good news. Should the Christian be known then for his sadness? Yes, in the secret places with God, the Christian will often weep. But is he going to be weeping over his own life? No, over God's heartbreak. That's what he'll feel for. He may weep over the sinner, but he's not known as a a sad sack type person. The gospel is joyful. It is a relaxed, happy. I say to you that I've had all those 18 years of selfishness and I've had nine years of living for Jesus and I know which one is the happiest. I did everything I knew to bring pleasure into happiness, in my selfish life, and I've served Jesus for these last nine years, and I have never known such happiness and peace, and it gets better all the time. Secondly, it does not mean that you constantly have to keep the rules in mind. When you've really made a surrender to God, now, remember this week we've gone over some pretty rough things. We've, we've given you the whole basis, uh, a, a large number of principles which will really cut holes in selfish kids' lives. And as always, when you see all these things and you learn them in a week, they'll cut holes in your own life. And we've given you a lot all at once. Most times you never get this. I don't think spread over three years. I know some Christians never heard about this in their lives. They need it, but they never heard it. Now, we've gone over and over some really hard-cutting things this week that have really chopped deep and hurt. Some of you say, oh, you know, in the next session, oh. But understand, serving Jesus does not mean that you've constantly got to go around saying, all right, now let me see, is this for the highest good or not? Do you see what I mean? Some of you are going to get into this thing in your mind, you constantly introspective, checking every little motive, worrying about, you know, this thing and that. Do not do that. Uh, usually when a man's heart is set on serving God and God has dealt with him thoroughly, you'll find that spontaneously out of his life and out of his walk with Christ comes the actions that he has. He doesn't have to force himself. Now I will do something good. And you don't have to go around think. Listen, when you were a sinner, did you, did you go around thinking... Now I am serving myself when I do... Did you think that? Did you have to go around and say, now I am going to drop these drugs because I love myself supremely? Did you have to check every time you thought, now I'm going to get messed up here because I really like being selfish? You don't have to think that. You just, boom, you did it. You forgot it. Now the Christian's new life ought to be spontaneous like that. He did not have to go around checking, am I doing this for the... The only time you need to check is when there's doubt in your mind. You know, there's an area of check. And the Holy Spirit knows how to check you. If you feel an area of doubt, gray area, then you check. Then you go back, examine your motives. Is this right or is it, see that? But if you find yourself getting hung up and every three seconds you're looking at your motives and getting on your knees and going, you know, then you'll know you're getting pushed into this tragic thing. And remember who does that, the enemy. He likes to hang you up in yourself. Remember what holiness is. It is not thinking too high of self or too little of self. It is simply forgetting yourself. And if you find yourself constantly talking about yourself, whether it's putting yourself down, or putting yourself up, then is the time to go before the Lord and say, God, I'm sick and tired of talking about myself and praying about myself. I need to spend more time with you. The Christian's mark is that he talks about the one he loves most. And if that's Jesus, it'll come out. You shouldn't be able to bump into a Christian from this training thing and within ten minutes of hitting the most interesting and exciting subject with them, start talking about Jesus Christ. That's the way it ought to be. And you can always tell if you find yourself getting back to them, you'll be praying for yourself, thinking about yourself, worrying about yourself in your spiritual life. You get hung up in the trap of introspection. Do you see that? So watch that because there are some people I'd never even give this to because they don't even know what it means to give everything to God. I'd say... Start looking at your life, go, you know, I'd preach all that. But you guys have been through that so often, some of you are coming out of your ears. Now is the time to give a balance and come and say, don't constantly get hung up. I would suggest that if you feel the touch of God go off your life, if you feel like you're losing your first love, then is the time to get on your knees and give, run another spiritual checkup through. But you don't have to do this every 25 minutes to see whether you're still walking with God or not. That's... That the wrong thing rolling. Do you understand that? Remember, we are not loving God primarily because He commanded us to, but because He is the most lovely person in the world. That's the basis. The other thing is legalism. Do you see that? Secondly, while it's lovely to have a trumpet accompaniment, <laughs> Serving Jesus, number two, is not magic. Understand what it means to give your life to Christ. It does not mean that God is going to do the following thing. It doesn't mean that God is going to lose your you. Some people feel... That when Jesus saves them, they're going to change their temperament. See, they think, here is a person, and by temperament, they're naturally quiet, see, and stuff like this, that's their temperament. They have a funny feeling that if Jesus saves a person, they've got to make them all in one mold. They've all got to be fiery and swinging on chandeliers and leaping around like the idiot platney. But, see, God doesn't want you to be like me. He knows that the world can only stand one of me at one time. And the same with you. There's only one of you. There's only one of, one of me and one of Tony and one of Frank and one of Barry and Johnny and, and everybody here, sure. There's only one of us. God simply takes who you are and uses you. He doesn't try. He broke the mold when he made you. Did. So don't think, you know, God has the quiet ones who sit there thinking and come up and say, well, there's some problems here. God has the fiery ones that say, let's get something done, praise the Lord. See? God has the happy ones that are always, you know, or if I get down, you know, but he's got them too. So remember that. One day we'll do a study on temperaments and you'll see, God doesn't. Reject this, and secondly, God doesn't wipe out natural feelings. Some people feel the holier I get, the less I'll hurt if somebody slaps me. They really feel that if you're really a Christian, somebody come up and bellowed you right on the nose, you'd say, "Oh, that was wonderful. Do it again." I really think that some Christians are surprised when somebody does something rotten to them and it hurts. They thought, but I'm a Christian, it shouldn't hurt anymore. It should feel wonderful and marvelous and, listen, God hurts. And he's as holy as anybody I know. See that? He hurts. You say that somebody did something that made me feel angry. God feels angry, but the difference is in the way God acts. He doesn't react, and what God will do is discipline your life so that you take these feelings of hurt and anger that come and do not react to them, but choose the right and the best way. That will take time. Some of you have been used to reacting angrily, see? God is working on us, I'm going to show in a little while. The way God works on us, pattern by pattern, to, to chip us out and make us right. But don't expect that natural feelings. You'll find a beautiful thing. As you grow in the Lord and you get older in the Lord, the feelings will be the same, but you do not react as quickly as you used to. You'll learn this. For a while, somebody comes and slaps you across the face, you'd, you'd feel all uptight, you know, and take every. Ounce of spiritual willpower power to hold you down from slogging the dude in the nose, see? But after four or five years, the hurt may be there at the same time, but you'll have learned to choose instead of react. Do you see this? Bill Moody was out on the street, and he was buying a newspaper. And a little kid was there, and the kid was really rude to him. Give me the money, he said, you know? And, the, and Bill Moody gave him the money, kindly took the paper and went on. And the the guy who was with him said, Mr. Moody, why did you do that? He said, why didn't, that little kid was very rude, I wouldn't even bought a paper off him. Why didn't you, uh, you know, why didn't you just say, listen, I'm not going to buy any papers from you, kid. Mr. Moody said, why should I let a little boy like that tell me how to run my life? Why should I let a little boy like that tell me how to react? I act. I do what God tells me to do. And he said this, if that little boy hadn't been rude, do you think I would have bought a paper from him? Do you see that? How would you feel if the person had not hurt you? What? How would you have acted towards him? That's what God does. He always says, all right, how can I wisely act towards this person? He always does that. And this will take time, but God does not wipe out natural feelings. Hope you understand that. Then... Another thing here, being perfect is not freedom from mistake. You may make some real bonus in the Christian life. You may really, really blow it. You do something dumb, you rush into something, and afterwards you find out it was absolutely dumb. But don't be afraid to admit that. Christians are not people who cannot make mistakes. Sin is a different story. We'll get on to that. But um, I'll give you a difference between mistake and between sin. It is possible for you in ignorance to do something that later turns out you find is wrong. My uh, mother-in-law was in Switzerland, and she was by a beautiful garden full of roses. And she loves roses. So she picks this rose praises the Lord, you know, and then she looks down and there's a sign. It says, do not pick the flowers. Now what is that, see? Well, that's this. Now, as far as her heart is concerned, she didn't sin. But when she found that out, it was wrong. She'd broken a law. So the best thing she could do was to apologize to the people and offer to pay a restitution. Do you see that? But that is not... That's a lot of difference between that and the Bible is clear to make a difference between. If you commit a sin of ignorance in the Scriptures, you have to pay a sacrifice. You know, there's a sacrifice you must pay for this thing, but you do not get punished for it. And even in a court of law today, this is true, they can prove there is no guilty intent. Your sentence is much lighter. It's always on intent. All right, that's that. We're not calling mis- sin mistakes. Sin is a deliberate transgression of a known law of God. You deliberately know something, you do it wrong. If that happens, there's only one recourse, and that's back to the cross. See? Not as I said if, not when. Down the back, though. Yeah, I, if, uh, you know, if you feel like that, that has hurt him or injured him or some form of restitution needs to be made, then I would do that. But uh, understand, God looks at the heart. We'll show you what this means in a little while. Now, let's push on here rapidly. God doesn't have infallible people, no popes, see? Only dopes. That's what it means. Now, it doesn't mean that you are to be excluded. Jesus did not say to us that we are to be in the world and of the world. Neither did he say we're to be of the world and not in the world. And he didn't say, we're to be of the world. (laughs) What else have we got? (laughs) And out of the world, that's a dead sinner. But he did say, we're to be in the world and not of the world. What's the difference? It means that we will not make ourselves holy by living in holes. That's what it means. Some people feel if I'm really going to serve God, then I've got to find a hole, stock it up with food and water, go inside there and never talk to another person again. That's the way I'll really be holy. God has tried to do three things with us, one get the world out of us. See? Two, gets us out of the world, gets the world out of us, and then he sends us back into the world again. That's what he tries to do. And the world is not the sinner. It is the spirit of the secular. If you find yourself consciously avoiding the sinner's, you don't care about them anymore. You'd rather just spend time with the Christians. You may just get into a little fellowship thing and never touch the, the, the dying world outside you. Jesus constantly mixed with the sinners, but he never sinned. There's a difference. Do you see that? We are not to start a smarts club. You know what a smarts club is? secret meeting of the saints. Now, practically being perfect or obeying God does not mean we will practically be able to love all people everywhere, always. We would if we could, but we are only finite beings. See, practically it means that you have to pay more particular time and attention to those secular people that God has placed right at your disposal. The Christian, if he could, would take everybody in the world into his house and feed them all. He would take every sinner there was in the world and preach to him. But practically he is limited, he can only reach so many people at one time. That will help you. When you walk down the street, you will not feel an irresistible compulsion to grab everybody by the tie and preach to them, see? Some people said, listen, when I'm witnessing, what do I do? I see all these people, I say, stop, here, take this track, wait, don't go any further, take... See, this will really freak you out. Uh, God loved the world. He only came to one little place to begin. See, that's what we must do. Practically, God's love would want to take the whole world in, but you must act wisely. That means that you will not grab a soapbox and shout out to the whole world every day. You may be asked to do that sometimes, but it practically means you will be wise in your witness. You'll take the people that you feel God has prepared specifically for you, your girls, Well, know that there are some girls you can really reach. Guys mightn't be able to touch them. You may be able to. The guys may be able to touch them. Guys, the girls will never reach. Okay? That's that. And then, here's another marvelous thing. Serving God does not mean... Oops, losing on my chalk here. You will be exhausted. The devil always tries this tactic out with a young Christian who's really keen to serve God. He'll take what the kid is doing and push him harder than... He'll suggest to him, uh, like the Christian may be fasting. The devil will say to him, don't go on a fast, that's terrible. See? And then the Christian gets in his fast. see? And then the devil comes up and he says, all right, that's a good idea. Then the Lord... The Lord says, stop. And the devil says, no, 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 keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Ninety days later, skeleton is sitting
2: there. <laughs> Still,
1: you ought to check, all of you. Some of you are fasting. This is good. Remember this. Remember to check with the Lord carefully. Make sure there's that sense of peace. If you feel driven to go on in anything, you stop it right there. And check again with God, all right? And another thing it means, being a Christian doesn't mean to say you have to pass out unconscious every night in order to preach the gospel. Some people think, if I'm really a Christian, I'm going to die burning, you know. And they do, very rapidly. (laughs) When I first started in the ministry, man, we went to camps. We didn't eat, we didn't sleep. For four days on end, we went around looking like ghosts. We had revival, but only once a year. It took the rest of the year for us to recover, you know. Watch this thing. The disciples one day were really heavy in preaching, and the Lord said, sit down by the well and rest. Remember, it is a command that one day a week you will rest. Relax, draw close to God, draw close to nature, see, Read your Bible, pray, get in close, spend time resting. You must use that day off that you have. Really use it. And never push your body beyond its limits. I had to learn the lessons the hard way. I have wrecked some of my physical being. Now, I started with this one, but it was a little better than it is now because I pushed myself too hard, and the Lord taught me some lessons. I used to think that if I wasn't going 27 hours a day, I wasn't much of a Christian. And I had this, right. one day I was sitting way in the back of a thing and a guy came in who had a real ministry and a gift called the Word of Knowledge. Just pick, and this is what he would do. Different people had problems and he'd be preaching for a while and then he said, stop, he said, I want to give you some practice now. The lady sitting in the front, he said, could you stand up, please? She stood up, he said, you've got some real financial problems. Here's a scripture the Lord gave. Go, <laughs> Cried all over the place. She did have some financial problems. I was sitting right on the back, I had my shoes off, you know. He says, Winky Prattney, could you stand? I said, "Wow, well, there's two Winky Prattneys here, isn't it? Wow.
2: <laughs> I stood up.
1: I'd been praying, you know, I'd been driving on for the Lord, doing these things. Have to get the done. gotta get you know, this. And I'd been praying the night before. I said, Lord, I've been gone six months, and I haven't even heard you speak to me. I've never heard one supernatural thing. I've just read the Bible, studied, prayed, witnessed, you know, but nothing. I said, I wish you'd speak to me. I went to sleep weeping, you know. Now I'm sitting down in the back with my shoes off, just sitting there writing notes, thinking, yeah, this is a good seminar, you know. (laughs) Stand up. So I stood up, looking around. And he says, I've got a message for the Lord from you. From the Lord for you. Slow down. Ah! You know, shot me down in flames. And then he gave me a scripture verse. But I listened. <coughs> really did. I have learned to relax. Now, I find I'm doing more now with this relaxed thing than I was doing before. I'm not spinning my wheel so many times. When I do something, it gets done. And you must learn this lesson. Serving God does not mean you'll be exhausted. That's not what it means. It does not mean that God will hold you accountable for things that you could have learned if only you had served Jesus earlier. Sometimes you think, you know, some of you have been to church and then you ditched it when you were two or something, uh, you backslid or something, and then uh, then you came back when you're 50 and you're sitting here saying, oh, you know, and this all this condemnation of what you could have done from between two and 50. See, that all hangs behind you. But God does not hold you responsible for what you could have learned if you had known him then. Just what you do learn from this point on. Do you see that? Don't be condemned about, uh, and another thing is about the past. You know, oh, if only I'd known this earlier, then I could have, don't get hung up about that. God starts you where you're at and works from there. And that's where you should start. Now another important thing. Serving God does not mean you'll always be excited. Very, very important thing. Underline it. Christians feel, brother, if I'm not jumping, shouting, swinging on a chandelier, jumping and scratching the walls, leaving Pentecostally shaped holes in the walls, I am not serving Jesus Christ. Excitement is good to stir up, uh, God stirs up excitement in city. He'll often ask Christians to do some things that really stir up excitement in city, but the main thing God is looking for is obedience, not excitement. And you'll find times when God withdraws the sense of his presence from your life to teach you to obey whether there's fun there or not. Do you see that? You'll, sometimes God will take his sense of his presence from you And understand, when the sky is gray, the sun is always there. It's just behind the clouds. The very first person I ever met in Teen Challenge in San Francisco was a young man. And he had just been saved for two weeks, and he taught me a profound lesson on God. He said, I've been praying, I want to go to Bible college, and I think the Lord wants me to go. But he said, I haven't heard from him for two weeks. And he said, but I got his number. The Lord is standing there with His arms folded, and He told me to obey Him, and I'm just doing it. And I know He's going to watch to see what I'm going to do. And when I when I prove to Him, I'm going to do it, whether I know He's around or not. He's going to He's going to get me to Bible college. I I found out later he went to Bible college. There's a testing process. You know, we want to serve God. Oh, Jesus, I will serve you as long as there's this marvelous feeling in my heart. And then the feeling goes away. You get a headache or something. Oh, God, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore now. See that? God will test you. He'll take away the feeling to see if you obey. Just, you've got the word, walk in it. I've heard David Wilkerson and other men of God say, I've gone through a dark night of my soul for three months when I did not hear the voice of God wept and prayed, and he said, God just laid out before me obedience. And I walked in that in darkness. All I had was the Word, and I walked on the Word until God brought me out into life. And that will come to some of you. You ought to know that. Serving God does not mean you'll be excited. Now, I think you ought to understand what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. I want to give you a a silly illustration here, but I think it'll be important. When Jesus said, with all, did he mean use everything at once? I don't think he did. I think he meant this. I think Jesus meant use everything that is required at the time it is required to the intensity it is required. Jesus means, when he says, all your heart, all your soul, use all the particular faculty that is required for a job, and I'll illustrate this in a second, when it is required, and just how much is required. Let me explain. Let's say I have to use all of my strength, and all of my thinking, and all of my feeling, and all of my concentration on cutting my toenail. Alright? this is the way it goes. i I feel that I ought to cut my toenail. I think
2: I ought to do it now.
1: And now I... I cut it with all my strength.
2: My toe falls off. (laughs) thump, thump.
1: I want you to see two pictures here now. Here is a mother and she's got a baby. Here's scene one a mother with a baby in a cot. All right? And uh, the mother's looking at the baby. The baby's asleep. The mother feels his calmness. See, she's just, you've got this little ripple to blob. She's looking at this little creature. There's a fire, an open fire burning. The back there. She's looking and going, you know, know, like this, just looking at the baby. Then she goes away to wash dishes. Now, while she's away, a spark jumps out of the grate, lands in the bottom of the baby's crib. It catches fire. See? The baby starts crying. Scene two. Mother's washing their dishes. (laughs) What's that funny smell? Baby's crying. wonder what's wrong with it she grabs the baby, boom, picks it up, sticks it under the... Psh, turns on puts the baby out by putting it under the water. Now, you, you know the two scenes, all right? Scene one, what is the mother's emotions like? Calm, what is her mind? Very calm, see? What is the choice? It's very little, scene scene two you know what are her choices boom her feelings ah you know her mind racing second question is there a difference between the mother's love in scene one and scene two no do you see that the second time she needed to if she'd have come in second time said oh the baby's burning oh well you know do you see there would be when God asks for all, He asks for all that is required at the time. That means you can save. Now, in, in a judo hold, when you're holding a person down in a judo hold, you do not put all your pressure on all the time. You, you sense until the guy tries to throw up, and then you put all your force in. And that's what God wants us to do. The Christian life. We do not use all our strength all the time in every place. We use all that is required to hold at that time. Do you see that? That's what God asks of us. does not mean that we are to be excited. And then it does not mean that God will always be the direct object of our thinking. Some Christians have this feeling in their minds that if they really love God, Always God will be right here in the middle of their thinking. And if he moves a second away, they're backslidden. So you see them thinking. (laughs) Oh, they're backslidden. And we, you know, there's... Your mind is a tool. God gave it to you. And when you're working on some math problem or putting something down, Jesus wants only preference on your thoughts. Do you see this? He does not have to be direct object of your thinking all the time because if you're thinking, what can I pack? You're not thinking, you know, Jesus, pack, Jesus, you know. That, that's a weird thing. Don't let the devil hassle you on that. All God wants is prior attention. So if you're doing anything, he tap you on the shoulder and say, son, do this. See that? Prior attention on your thinking, on your choices, all of that. That's what it means. Love them with your mind. Now, huh, doesn't mean you'll be happy all the time. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Doesn't mean you'll always feel happy. It does mean you'll always be holy. And I'll explain what the word perfect means in a second. Uh, It doesn't mean that people always say nice things about you. Matter of fact, they said that Jesus had a demon because he was serving his father. So prepare. We told you this earlier. You're going to serve Jesus. Prepare to be spat on. Prepare to be laughed at. Criticized. That's all part of the package. That's part of the thrill of being a Christian. It does mean you'll always be holy. Now I'm going to give you a definition of the word perfect, and show you what God is trying to do in your life. The word perfect in the Bible is an interesting word because it has three main meanings, and each one of them show us what God expects. You will hear a lot of people today because they do not understand the word perfect say nobody's perfect. I've heard that all my life till I read the Bible and saw what God meant when he said perfect. The Bible tells us Be ye perfect as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And it does not mean this, infinite perfection. There's only one being who has infinite perfection, and that is the Father. Nobody will ever be perfect like that. It doesn't mean perfection of body or perfection of being. God is going to give you a perfect body one day, but he's not asking you for a perfect body now. He knows this is a body of death one day we already went through that be happy with the body of God if God wants to patch it up and you know help you out a little bit and this dying old body that's his business but if he doesn't be happy with it see that what the Bible meaning word meaning of the word perfect is is threefold it involves one the word blameless two sincere And you'll find these words also used in the King James Version. God asks a Christian to be blameless, to be sincere. And three, the main meaning of the word perfect has the idea of mature or growing. Now that's what God means when he says perfect. First let's look at sincere. That means totally honest. A Christian is not somebody who doesn't have anything at all to get straightened out. A Christian is somebody who is straightening out everything he knows that God has showed him to straighten out. That's what a Christian is. Some people think, I'm a Christian, fabulous, boom, I got saved yesterday, no more problems. No, you'll see in a second God has got to work all the way through your past habits and undo a great deal that you have done in the past. But you only do one thing at a time with him, and he only asks that you be very, very honest as he deals with you. And it'll hurt. All the way along, you'll be hurt. Oh, and he shoots you down again, see? But God is kind. He lets you enjoy it for at least a week before he shoots at you again. <laughs> Except in these camps. We're not kind at all, see? Blameless is not faultless. Illustration. Little kid watching his daddy pick flowers, you know, pick weeds out of, and dad's hands get all sore. He says, oh, I can't, Fan these weeds. The little kid goes out, me help daddy, <coughs> pulls all the flowers out. Question, is that kid faultless? No. Question, is he blameless? Yes, he is. Why? No selfish intent. And that's what God asked. You as Christians, you make mistakes, you'll be at fault many times. But God, as he searches our hearts, if he finds no selfish intent, we'll call you perfect. Now, you are not to call anybody else perfect because you don't know. You don't know how much they really know about what God... I don't come up to a person and say, listen, who's a perfect person, but God knows exactly how much you know about Him, just how much you are doing. And if you want a simple definition of the word perfect, it is living up to all the light you have. The light is what you know about God. So perfection is simply to live up to all the light you have. Joy Dawson says, it is doing the next thing God asks you to do. One thing at a time. God shows you something, you do it. He shows you something else, you do that. Not all the things that you're going to have to do 300 years from now. Just the next thing. Do you see that? Very simple. What is God asking you to do now? Do that. And when that's finished, He'll give you something else. Living up to all the light you have. And here's a beautiful promise in the book of John. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses from all sin. That's why Jesus can look and say, Here is an absolutely, spotlessly holy man. Walk up to the light that you have, and God will see you continuously perfect in his eyes. It's a beautiful thing. He doesn't hold any of the past against you. He never stores it up and says, Ah, yes, but you've got a lot of good deeds more to make up for what you did before. He simply says, do the next thing. And in your eyes, you're as blameless as a newborn baby. The beautiful thing. Let me illustrate now about the mature so you see what God is trying to do, and then we'll close up. Keep those three definitions in mind, and remember that the basic meaning of the word perfect is the word mature. Do you remember I said, God looks at our hearts... And that is the supreme choice we make in life. Based on that supreme choice, we have some major choices. we call them sub-choices. These are things like my job. Who will I marry? Where will I live? What ministry will I have? Major choices you make in life. Underneath this are habit choices. We call them routine choices. Things you do every single day. Shave, dress, ordinary habits you learn. Most of you didn't have to, if you're writing down, you didn't have to say, Let me see now, how do I make a tea? See, like that? You learn that when you're a little kid. And you just go, you learn how to write, to speak, and all these habits. Then you have immediate choices, things you're doing right now. When you got saved, Jesus got your supreme choice. That is, who are you living for? And it's either God or it's for yourself. Now, for however long you've lived, before you got saved, you built all your habit patterns on yourself. See that? Your habits, your sub-choices, the career that you chose, the things you did, maybe who you dated or married or whatever it was, all on yourself. When God gets your heart, he starts to work down step by step on all the old habit patterns of the past. And the first thing he gets is the most important sub-choice. He usually starts with your career and says, are you willing to say goodbye to that? Well, I don't know. I've been working for a whole... See? Do you see what he does? He'll next ask, what about your date life? Well, I've been gone with this guy for 15 years. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: ah yes but he'll say have you taken that to me well see, and then another big hassle while he, and when he's got that one out of the way he moves down to the next one and each one it hurts just as much as the one before but you know what he's doing he's restructuring your entire life piece by piece he'll work back down on that chain eventually he'll come to your ordinary everyday habits what time you go to bed what time you get up the kind of food you eat He'll be working on those next, see? If you're just a brand new Christian, cheer up. He's got all your major choices to go through piece by piece. If you've been in the Lord for six months or so and he's gone through your job and you cleaned your date life out and fixed all your old girlfriends and boyfriends and wiped out everything else that you've ever known, cheer up. He's going to start on your habits next. On the way you get up and what time you go to bed and... You know, all these kind of things. And eventually it comes to when God is in our everyday, ordinary, immediate choices. He's dealing right down to there. Do you see that pattern? Now i say this, which will sum it all up and help you understand. Becoming a Christian is like learning to drive on the other side of the road. Becoming a Christian is like learning to drive on the other side of the road. When you gave your life to Jesus, you changed and you went totally on the opposite side of the road that you've been used to driving on all your life. Now, when I came from New Zealand to the United States, I had to be very, very careful because in New Zealand, we drive on the left-hand side of the road, here, And when I first arrived in America for the very first time and I got a taxi ride out from the airport, I like now got scared to death. This guy was driving on the wrong side of the road at 70 miles an hour. And it wasn't so bad on the freeways, but when he turned corners, I just about lost my mouth. Can you imagine living in a country... If you came over from America and had to learn to drive on the left hand side of the road. Now, see, when I came over here, when we turn left in New Zealand, we turn sharp. When you turn left here, you go out and then. And when I come to this country, I can't afford to learn to drive by <coughs> habit. I've got to learn a brand new way of driving. Now understand what this means. It does not mean that for the first six months I'm going to work closer and closer to the right-hand side of the road. (laughs) See that? It doesn't mean that I'll start over here on the sharp left and after a couple of weeks I'll drive sort of more towards the middle of the road and for a month I'm going to drive right down the center way and then after that I'm going to move over. No, when the Christian gets saved, he moves right over. It's a total change. It's not a gradual giving up of selfishness. It's a total change. But that does not mean, and understand, it does not mean that you will automatically annihilate the habit patterns of the way you used to drive. Do you see that? You are now learning to drive on the other side of the road. Therefore, you must be careful until you've developed new habit patterns, till you can learn to act by habit in this new way. Until that time comes, you must spend time in learning the new ways to walk. The habits you had before, the old past patterns you cannot afford to run. And I'll show you where the danger comes. When you turn a corner and in emergencies, Watch your spiritual lives. A corner is when you come to a new decision in your Christian life. An emergency is when suddenly you get hit with something that's right, seems like the whole world collapses on you. You cannot afford to do the thing you used to do. What did you used to do when you got into trouble? Maybe you went to drugs, maybe you went to sex, maybe you went to something else. Now you can't afford to. You must learn to throw yourself on God. Learn a whole new set of habits. And when you get hooked on Jesus, do you know there is a Bible verse on addiction? It says they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You'll find it. Look it up in your concordances. Now, three keys to keep the going, we're going to finish on this little session on holiness. One, look in Romans, not Romans, Hebrews chapter 12, please, and I'm going to give you three keys to keep the glow. Hebrews chapter 12 will help you stay walking in the road that God has called you to. Book of Hebrews. God says, Hebrews 11 tells us about all the great saints who went on before. Paul and Moses and all these other guys have all died in the faith. Have you ever wondered that if in heaven they had one-way video screens and they could watch all the Christians, what they were doing down here? Have you ever wondered what it would be like? It, It uses the illustration of a gigantic amphitheater where all the saints that have died before are watching a race the race of the 20th century Christians to see the ones who will carry the prize for Christ. And it says, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. So here's the first thing. Unchoked. Here's your warning. Satan knows he cannot trip the Christian who really loves God by direct, outright sin. So he says... Just waste a little time. See that? Just get wasting a little time. Watch out for the hindrances. You spend a little bit of time in some innocent amusements and then it gets longer and longer and longer until finally you find suddenly your devotion is gone. You don't know how it happened. It just frittered away. So watch out for the hindrances. Stay unchoked. A runner, when he's running, he puts on those heavy weights on his boots and he trains in those things and when the race comes, he strips them off and throws them away. Watch out for innocent amusements. Watch out you don't waste time. That's been my greatest battle to stay away from wasting time. Use the spare moments to draw closer to Christ. Secondly, stay clean. The Bible says the sin which does so easily beset us. All of you know the peculiar temptations you have. Some of you have stronger temptations. You girls, you may be tempted to be critical or to be bitter or to be lonely and depressed. Watch out for those areas. Learn to praise. Learn what it means to throw yourself on the Lord. You guys, you may be tempted in your mind. You may be tempted in in some of your old habit patterns. Learn where you're weak and learn to rely on Jesus for those weak areas. And stay clean. If you ever get into trouble, do not cover it. Bring it right out immediately into the light of the cross and say, Lord, I have failed you. I have sinned against you. And I come back the only way I know. Back to the cross. Back to the blood. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Set me straight again. I went off the road, see? Do it immediately. R.A. Torrey said this, keep short accounts with God. No long overdrawn accounts. Short accounts. If there's a debt, pay it immediately. And that's the way you keep going. And finally, Christ-dependent. Do not think, young people, that holiness consists in how much confession and restitution you do and how much sorrow you have over sin. Holiness consists basically on how much you can know of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. On how much power you can draw from His love. That's what it means. How do you fight sin? By wrestling with it, by trying to put it down. No, just by doing this. By saying a firm no and instantly saying Jesus help me. That's the only way to beat sin. Don't wrestle with it. Say, no, Jesus, help me, and cast yourself instantly on Jesus. Learn to know him. When you're lonely, learn to know him as your friend. When you've been hurt, learn to know him as your comforter. When you're bewildered, learn to know him as the great shepherd. When you are Uh, are angry. Learn to know him as the one who calms the troubled sea. Learn to know Jesus for every single need you have. That's Christ dependence. Cover and follow and finish with a tiny little story that has meant a lot to me. I do not now live to please other people, even my Christian friends. I live because I know he is watching me. There was a boy who went to play football once. He was a good-looking guy for football, big, broad shoulders, no neck. The Lord just, boom, sit his head right down on his shoulders. And he looked like he'd make a good football player, but something he would never seem to turn on the football field. He just didn't get it together. The coach wondered about him, and finally the coach said to him, Son, we're going to have to let you play sometime because you're on the team. We'll let you play this other team. But we're so far behind, we're going to lose against him anyway. That's how he just never seemed to make it. The day before it was time to play, this kid's dad died. The coach came to him and he said, Son, I'm sorry that I'll have to scratch you from the team. I suppose you want to go to your dad's funeral? I said, I'm just so sorry about it. And the kid said, No, coach. He said, Today I want to play. I must play today. The coach couldn't understand it, but the kid begged and pleaded with him. He said, all right, you can go, son. The kid went on in the field. He played like they'd never seen anybody play before in their life. He played so good that at halftime, he'd brought them up equal to the other team, and though they didn't win, they carried him off on their shoulders, cheering him, top of their lungs. They'd never seen anybody play like that before. The coach said, kid, what happened to you out on that field? And the boy said, Coach, my dad was a Christian and he never came to these football games. The coach said, Why not? He said, Because, Coach, my dad was blind. But today, for the first time, my dad watched me play. Young people, Jesus watches you. Heavenly Father, we are not who we appear to be among our Christian friends here, we are all that you really know we are in our heart of hearts, with our problems, with our temptations, with our troubles, and with our little victories and joys. But you love us each individually. You care about us each individually. And we thank you that you watch us. Help us to know that somebody who loves us very much looks at us every day, and sees us every second of our lives, that we may play our part not to the world or even to the Christian, but to our heavenly Father, who sees in secret, and one day will reward us openly, in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. As I said, this is a really important message. It has to do with daily living. It has to do with how are you going to live like Jesus? How are you going to show the world who you are and who God is by being perfect as Winky defines it uh, in this message. How how, how are you going to be that perfect disciple, that perfect follower of God? I hope you enjoyed this one. I thought it was really powerful and I'm glad we found this one. Listen to it. Listen to it more than once if you have to. Uh, If you have comments, make the comments, let us know what you thought and uh, we'll be back again. Thank you.